God is good, is he not? We live, we're living in such an interesting time because we clearly see the agenda of the devil, the Antichrist, all throughout the media, all throughout laws, all throughout. Uh, I heard someone say, um, you know, when a third of the angels fell and they became demons, we start, we've, we've begun to see this woke agenda. Any of you guys know what the woke agenda is? Or is that too much of modern terminology for some of you? So when I say woke agenda, we're okay, right? Or does someone need me to explain it? Okay. So this woke agenda that's going around about um, kids and what we should teach in schools and the church and how the world should be ran, there's very few people that follow it. Meaning this, there's, sorry, not, not who follow, yeah, no, who follow it. There's very few people who follow it, but it's really powerful. Why is there a movement that has very few people, but it's highly planned, highly unified, highly organized, and it has a lot of power? Because when we, when we talk about this agenda, what do we say? It's like the minority of the minority of people who live this way, who uh, want to be this way. So how does someone who, of 1% of people want to live this way and have this type of life, how does it have so much power? Because it's demonic. There's a demonic woke agenda that is happening within our world today. And the reason why I bring that up is because the book of Revelation is sharing with us what the end of time is going to look like. And as we read the book of Revelation, we're learning a bunch or we're seeing a bunch of these tactics come to place. Um, exciting, scary. And then I'm confronted with, I'm confronted with a mountain. I have a dream for my life still. My dream um, has not stopped. How many of you guys still have dreams for your life? I hope that you still have dreams for your life. So my dream has not stopped. But what happens is what, what's frustrating is sometimes it feels like the book of Revelation might get in the way of my dream. Right? Like the end of time might get in the way of the life that I want to live. And that's a mountain in my life. Amen? So we tell the mountain to move. Um... So there's a bunch of things that are taking place. So as we've gone through the book of Revelation, we've seen the 144,000 sealed. Many people believe that the 144,000 that were sealed were simply Jews. What I hold too lightly is I believe that the 144,000 was the complete church. And today we're going to um, recap a little bit what we talked about last week as we finish it. But chapter 13, where we ended was this, catching some of you guys up because you weren't here a few weeks ago. Revelation chapter 13 talks about the Antichrist and the false prophet. And what happens is the Antichrist and the false prophet, they work together. The Antichrist is the devil. The false prophet is essentially the devil but possessed. Um, he is the hype man for the Antichrist at the end of time. And during the end of time, what we will see happen is um, believers will have, 
or not believers, but people, because of limited resources, will have to receive a mark on their forehead or their wrist to be able to have goods or resources. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Imagine if today you leave church, we get EMP'd, there's no more power. Like, you're really conspiracy theorist today, Joey. We get EMP'd, there's no more power. Canada's on fire again and there's smoke. And we have no resources. The banks crash because we got EMP'd. Now you and your family have no food other than what was in the freezer, but because there's no electric, you're free, everything that's in there is going to go bad within a week. Your family and your kids are going hungry. But this leader comes up and this leader says, hey, insert name, I have everything that you need. I can provide you electric. I can provide you food. I can provide you shelter. I can provide you safety if you would just give your allegiance to me. So to give your allegiance, what you need to do is put my mark, which is 666, on your wrist or your forehead. You can have everything you've ever desired. What do you do? Because what we've always been taught, what we've always been taught is the most sacrificial thing that we can do is to lay down our life for our loved ones. And many people in here say, well, I, I will receive the mark so that I can bless my family. Wrong. You think the Antichrist is going to let you give food to your family? No. So in Revelation chapter 13, we learn about this Antichrist. And what we learn about this Antichrist is the Antichrist... The devil, at the end of time, will look, and I know that I've recapped this a lot. This is important because deception and deceit is what keeps us from being able to move mountains. And in the end of time, many people will be deceived, and that's a scary thing. So the Antichrist will come, and the reason why people follow Jesus is we say we follow Jesus because of his word. His word is life. His word is truth. But not only is his word life and his word truth, um, Jesus resurrected the grave, amen? No one? We got a sleepy church today? Are you just bathing, soaking in the presence of God still in worship? Jesus resurrected the grave, amen? That's the pinnacle of our faith. If he doesn't resurrect the grave, then, we're, then we've wasted our lives. We should have lived however we wanted. So Jesus resurrected the grave. At the beginning of time in Genesis 2, 3, whatever it was, God formed the dust of the earth and he spoke life into it. And what happened? Adam was formed. He gave uh, Elijah power to rain um, fire from heaven, to shut up the heavens with rain. So what's interesting is what we see in Revelation chapter 13 is the Antichrist receives a fatal wound to his head. And then he resurrects the grave. He speaks life into a dead idol, a statue, and it comes to life physically. Not only does he do that, he also rains or calls down fire from heaven. 
So this Antichrist is going to come with power, and he's going to come to deceive many. He's going to come and say at someone's weakest moment, you're hungry, you're thirsty, your kid should be 130 pounds, but your kid is 60 pounds because they haven't eaten in two months. I can provide them everything that they need if you would just follow me. So what we've been learning is there's, there's clearly two kingdoms. There's, not, there's, there's one of two ways on earth. There's not 10,000 ways. There's one way to heaven. There's two paths that you can choose. There's Jesus' path or the devil's path. That's it. And both of these paths have an antichrist. The devil would say that Jesus is the antichrist. Jesus teaches us the truth that the devil is the antichrist. And they're paralleled right here. And within these two parallels, what we have to understand is this, is every single one of us will receive a seal. Every single one of us will have a mark. You will be marked one day. The question is, are you marked by Jesus or are you marked by the Antichrist? Which one are you marked by? So the 144,000 here in Revelation chapter 14 catching you up, right? The 144,000, they're sealed. Sealed believers. People who are marked by God. The chapter before, many were receiving the mark of the Antichrist. So I just want to read to you. I'm not going to re-preach last week's message. I just want to read to you um, Revelation chapter 14. So then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters and like a sound peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as the first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. You guys remember how that was taught last week. What this was teaching us last week is why I believe that the 144,000 are you and I, not just Jews, is because they were considered blameless. And what we understand is not one person on earth has ever been blameless except who? Jesus. So for this to be speaking about Jews, I have an issue with it because according to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I've had other teachings about the 144,000 that you can refer back to on our website. But what's interesting is the way that Jesus sees you today. And there's some people in here today who have sinned this week and fall feel so horrible about who they are 
If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, here's what he considers you based upon Revelation chapter 14. Virgins, it means that you are pure. He sees you as pure. He sees you as obedient. He sees you as purchased. He sees you as offered as the best. And he sees you as blameless. Amen? We can go home if you guys want. Or I can preach to myself. God sees you as pure, amen? amen? That's good. Obedient, purchased, offered as the first fruit, and blameless before God. So what we continued in last week, because we're in the same chapter, is that God is fair and God is just. So this vision that John is presenting presents us to these angelic messengers. These messengers will bring blessings and curses. They will bring the gospel, the gospel and they will bring judgment. So last week what we learned is in verse 6, then I saw the angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. You guys remember that? Anyone want to preach it for me? Or should I keep on recapping? So what happens is this angel comes and he's declaring God's goodness. He's preaching the gospel. Now this is the first time in scripture that God has commissioned an angel to preach the gospel. Now you guys are remembering, right? Now why was, what's important about that? Why was this the first time? Because whose job has, who has God commissioned to preach the gospel? You and I. It's our job as believers in season and out of season to be able and willing to give a reason for our faith. That's what we're supposed to do. So this is the first time that an angel has been commissioned or that we haven't been commissioned to do this. And last week we shared Mark chapter 16 and 2 Timothy and Acts 1 and Matthew 28 about going to make disciples. And this is where the church, where we get frustrated when leadership or when I preach going to go make disciples. We get frustrated with it because we don't want to do anything. You know what we want to do? We want to do what we want to do. Come on, somebody. We want to live our lives the way that we want to. What we don't want to do is be inconvenienced by a coworker, by a neighbor, by a friend. Sometimes, well, we're usually okay to be inconvenienced by a friend if we really love them. But we don't want to share the gospel because we don't want to be inconvenienced. So often when, when it's presented that it's our job to represent God in a way that we can teach his word, we get offended. We start saying this is a works church. All they want us to do is to become evangelists. No, all we want you to do is be sold out believers for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To say that he's perfect in all of his ways. So he's perfect in all of his ways even when I preach the gospel and I'm embarrassed. Even when I preach the gospel and I fumble through my words. Even when I preach the gospel and it wasn't very good. And what's paramount about the end of times and even just now is being able to preach the gospel doesn't mean that you're a teacher. Being able to preach the gospel just means to say, here's, here's what Jesus did. Jesus died for me. He resurrected the grave. 
He's the only way to heaven. Can you guys remember that? How many of you guys believe that? I hope you guys believe that today, that Jesus died for you. He died a death you were supposed to die. He resurrected the grave, and he's the only way to heaven. So that's it. That's the gospel, the very short gospel. So you can share the simple gospel. And uh, last week there was a question. Does this mean that if I'm supposed to share the gospel, that when I go to the shopping mall, that I'm supposed to just go witness and testify to everyone there? Not what I'm asking. Are you willing to share the gospel with a coworker that you're a friend with, that you've been working with for 20 years? Do you believe in heaven and do you believe in hell? Can you share the gospel with a neighbor who you've been a neighbor with for 30 years or someone that you graduated high school with and you went to school with them for 12 years, 13 years, you've known them your whole life and you've never shared the gospel with them? Just bailing hay for them or shoveling their driveway with your snowplow. You know what? Guys like to do that. We think that we're doing good works when we take out our equipment and go shovel someone's driveway with our new four-wheeler or our toy. And we think that we're doing, like, good works. No, we're just having fun. I'm We're showing off. You know what? That, that's the truth, though, because guys like to show off because our neighbors, they, they like to, um, they certainly... They're all, most of them are retired, so they, they will um, get their little, like, one-horsepower snowblowers out right when it snows. And, they'll, you know, the snow is only coming up like three inches. So, um, you know, they, they get it out there, and they do it three or four times a day. Well, when we got a heavy snow last year, you better believe that I wanted to get our toy out because it's throwing stuff like 30 feet across. Like, it's throwing it across the road and putting it on the other neighbor's paths. So I'm not being nice. I'm just taking this thing out having fun, bragging that y'all little electric 20-volt uh, snowblower ain't doing nothing while mine's throwing it 30 feet in the air. So sometimes we do nice stuff just to brag. And I'm out there bragging about Tim Allen, hur, 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 snowblower, having fun. So we create these relationships, but never, we never do anything with them. So as I say that, rhetorically asking you the question, how many friends in your life have you never shared the gospel with? You've just done nice things for them. The nice things that you're doing for them, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Amen? Our friends and our family members will never get saved if all we do is plow their driveway cut a tree, eat pizza with them. They're not going to be saved. Not, not, not because of our lives, not because we testified to them. The gospel is simple. We've sinned. We need Jesus. Jesus died. His blood covers us. He resurrected the grave. Pretty simple. So what ends up happening here is um, this angel, as this angel's preaching the good news, what the angel ends up doing is as it's preaching, it gives us a simple way to preach the gospel. 
Verse 7, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of judgment has come, worshiping him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of the water. So the approach by which this angel took was to fear God. Hey, fear God, right? So what do we do? We point people to fear God and to give him glory. We point people that judgment is coming quickly. As Mark Snyder shared with me several weeks ago, a pastor that he was listening to asked his friend in high school, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Would you go to heaven or hell? And the guy laughed and said, to hell and I'm okay with it. Five minutes later, he was in a car accident and he died. Fear God, judgment is coming quickly. Judgment is coming quickly. Does that mean that today judgment's coming? No, but statistically speaking, judgment is coming to someone today. There's gonna be millions of people who died today. We don't know the day or the hour by which we will die. So fear God, give him glory, point people to judgment, and then show people how he's the creator. That's the method that this angel took. This was the first angel. Now we get to the second angel, verse 8. This should all be new. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now Babylon will be discussed more in chapters 16 through 18. So we don't want to go into great detail with that. If you're a speculator, some people speculate that America is Babylon. I mean, I don't know, right? I know what Babylon represents. But in Revelation, Babylon stands religiously, politically, and economically against anything that is of Jesus. So essentially, Babylon is the Antichrist's empire. If you don't remember Babylon in the Bible, it was the first organized system of false worship. It was an organized system, right? So God told the people on the earth in Genesis 1 this. Genesis 1.28 should be on the screen. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what does God tell him to do? Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So make babies, further your territory. That's what he said to do. Pretty clear, right? Sounds fun. We get frustrated because we have less than a quarter of an ankle. Ankle. We, we have less than a quarter of an ankle. Well, Olivia has less than a quarter of an ankle when she was running the 4 by 4 but she did it. We have less than a quarter of an, I'm going to say it again, acre. My goodness. <laughs> 
you should see our dogs. They complain all the time. I mean, they have like a 12 by 14 area to go out and do, do their business. So if God said, hey, go out and subdue the earth, I'm trying to get me like 100 ankles. I want like 1,000 ankles. But what, what's happening here, and if someone's listening it online, they're like, I don't even get it. You, you have to be here. We'll see you next week. Come shake my hand. So um, they're told to go spread, to go have land, to subdue the earth. Go take your family, make more family, and fill the earth. Doesn't that sound great? Explore the earth. Fill it. But what these people chose to do was ignore God's plan. And they placed their plan over his. That was the sin of Babylon. They placed their plan over his plan. And how easy is it for us to point the finger at Babylon and not recognize the Babylon in our own hearts? Come on, somebody. Thank you. Don't we all have some Babylon in our hearts? That what we say is, God, I want my will over your will. So God told them to do something, and God has told us to do things. But what we do is we place our Babylonian hearts over his. Genesis 11.1. This is what happened. This is what, what they chose to do. This is how they honored him. Now the whole world had one language in a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So what they're saying is God wants us to spread out. We want to remain here. Kind of like the worship of family, a little bit going on. Kind of the worship of just people they love. So what happens is um, what's really unique here is God told them, God told them, to go do something, now they're deliberately disobeying. And what's interesting is their disobedience was just not remaining in one area. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So they continued to double down. What's interesting is the scripture is uh, explicitly clear here is they used brick instead of stone. So stones are naturally um, found items, correct? Bricks are not. So out of their pride, what they said is, God, what you have created is not good enough. We don't want anything that you created. What we want is we want to create our own future. We are so rebellious that we don't even want anything that you've done. We don't want to listen to anything. We want to create our own foundation. So they made their bricks to build their tower. 
So what John is sharing with us here in Revelation chapter 14 is that those who drink of Babylon's wine will drink of God's wrath. Those who are prideful and want to lead and live their own life, they will drink of God's wrath. The Old Testament is full of illustrations depicting God's wrath as a cup of wine. And I'll tell you this, I do not want to face God's wrath. Amen? Psalm 75, 8. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. God's wrath is the only I say it again, the only appropriate measure for those who have declined and rejected his personal invitation to a relationship with him. God's wrath is the only thing that they can experience. So that was the second angel. The third angel, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no, no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This is an explicitly clear picture of hell. There's this ideology out there that there is no hell or that hell is here on earth. Revelation 14 is clear to us that there is a living place that is hell. And this gives us a little bit of insight into what it will be like. There will be tormenting with burning sulfur. Um, there will be smoke for their torment and it will rise forever and ever. So hell is eternal. There will be no rest day or night. So you think that you're tired now? because of all the responsibilities that you have, work, all the TV shows you gotta catch up on, that can be work sometimes, helping other people, mowing your two ankles. <laughs> Guys don't have to mow their ankles, but I guess girls do. You gotta mow those things. We get so tired of our responsibilities. We're like, all I want to do is just rest. I'm tired. I'm emotionally tired. I'm physically tired. I'm spiritually tired. The people, I'm tired of my work. I'm tired of my home. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, in hell, guess what? There's no rest. There's nothing to get you away from being sick and tired upon being sick and tired. And some people say, I want to go to heaven because I fear hell the most. 
I want to go to heaven because I fear God the most. Hell is a place where the absence of God or the presence of God is not there. We can't imagine, even an atheist, an agnostic, people who don't follow Jesus, they can't imagine life or a world without the presence of God. God is the very breath in our lungs. Hell is real, and there's an ideology that's being preached and been preached for years that hell is not real. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that hell is real? Now, what I want to be clear about is though hell is real, God desires that no one would go there. Amen? 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen. The everyone's just not your neighbor. The everyone starts with you. God is patient with you. God is patient with us. So God doesn't send people to hell. Rather, those who deny a relationship with him through his son choose hell. I heard an analogy online where someone said, um, you, were, you were born on a boat that is in the middle of the ocean and it's sinking and a lifeboat comes. The lifeboat was Jesus. You can choose to get on the lifeboat or you can choose to sink to the abyss. Which one do you choose? God didn't keep you on the boat. God provided the way out. You chose to remain on the boat. Will you choose to get on the boat? Will you choose Jesus? You can choose Jesus today. Because the destiny for those who choose Jesus is completely different than those who choose the Antichrist. For those who don't choose him. So John continues in verse 12. This cause for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So those who choose Jesus will find rest, will find peace. When we pass from this life, we have something to look forward to. Let's continue. Jesus gathers his people. This is, um, you know, the speculation of how you believe, what your interpretation of the rapture is. Is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? Number one, is there a gathering unto him? Is there not a gathering unto him? If there is a rapture, is it pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? My leaning, again, to clarify, is I believe that God will return one day, and when Jesus returns, he will gather his people to him. I believe that Jesus returns once. So my leaning, not my 
thus saith the Lord, because there's a lot of smarter people than me. My leaning is that when Jesus returns, we will all be gathered unto him at that time. That's a single event. So, uh, many theologians have pointed to this being the event right here. Verse 14. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud slung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. So this is the saints, the gathering, of him, gathering unto him happening all right here. A single event, not a second or a third event. Um, this is just a different perspective of the same story. The term ripe here is interesting, though. The way we use ripe in modern culture is it uh, means it's ready. Yet in ancient Greek culture, Ripe meant it was overdue. So this is revealing to us that he is still patient. Ripe, it was overdue. So he was patient. He was trying to get as many people to understand his love and put their faith in him so that he could gather unto him as many as possible. Then the final angel where we will wrap up today. Verse 17 the angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he had two, or sorry, and he too had a sharp sickle. Uh, still another angel who had, uh, who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the winepress of God's wrath. One author shares this. The enemy who sowed them, the tares, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be a wap, uh, a wapping, a wailing, there some kind of wapping, certainly ankles too. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out his kingdom, all things that offend. And those who practice lawlessness, this author says, and he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So it will be the end of the age. 
the angels come forth and they separate the wicked from the just. The wicked and the just. Which side are you on today? Which side is your neighbor on today? Macy and I have a friend up the road, uh, much older than us, served in World War II. And uh, he, um, he recently lost his wife and um, talks to us about it. And I asked him if she knew Jesus, and he believes that she did. But I said, well, what about you? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I shared about the only way that he can be reunited with her is to put his faith in Christ. And he started to talk about all the good works that he's done, all the good things that he's done. I said, look, it doesn't matter. These good works pale in comparison. And then he saw us at Kroger a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, and he talked about this, um, forgive me, this military flag that represents also like a relationship with Jesus that he has that he wants to give to us. And he started to talk about that, and I said, you really don't have to give us that. He said, it would be my honor, but he said, I have to do good. He said, I have to do good. I have, I, I have to do something good to get there. I'm like, hey, buddy, you don't have to. No, that's not the way it works. You don't do good to get there. So then we were walking, and he stops us again, and he's talking to us. And um, he starts talking about his um, nephew who's trying to become a priest, highly involved in Catholicism. And... Um, he said, he just, my nephew invited me to a service, and when I went to a service, it was just, I'm not making fun of anything, right? He just said it was a lot of standing, sitting, and everything just seemed so routine. He's like, but he's really passionate about it, so I went. And then he kept on talking about passion, and he invited him. And earlier in the conversation, he's like, where's your church? And I missed it. He was asking me to ask him to come to our church. So I keep on waiting for him to be out again so that I can ask him to come here. Why do I want to ask him to come here? Is it so that I can feel good about myself? No. It's because hell is real. And far greater than hell being real, Jesus is real. And a relationship with Jesus is far better than anything else we can ever imagine. Amen? Jesus is patient with these people. He's patient with you and I. Hell is a real place. And God's gathering his people. And other people, they're being sent to hell. Verse 20, and we're finished. These people... They were trampled in the winepress outside the city. The blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. You want to know how far 1,600 stadia is? It's 184 miles long, four feet high. 
the bloodshed. This isn't talking bodies. The bloodshed that will happen will be four feet deep, 184 miles long. Some people have done some calculations on how many people that would be. Billions. Heaven is a real place, but hell is a real place too. Billions of people are going to go to hell. Billions of people will choose hell. And I plead with you, number one, choose Jesus today if you haven't. Publicly share with someone that you put your faith in Jesus. But if you haven't chosen Jesus, or if you have chosen Jesus today, Go out and share his good news. Amen? The destruction that's coming. But the good news is, is um, the good news is our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in what is yet to come. And one day we will be where there is no more weeping, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more mountains that we have to tell move. Let's pray. Father, um, Revelation is certainly an interesting book, but you tell us as we read it, as we obey it, as we hear it, that um, we will be blessed. So I pray for that blessing in our lives to understand who you are more. Uh, Bless us this week. Give us boldness. Help us understand this. In Jesus' name, amen.